Hello, and welcome back to SEMA's podcast, Y'all Ready for This, where we talk about all things emergency preparedness to make sure that you and your family are ready for any type of natural or man-made disaster right here in Chatham County. Y'all get ready for this. We have a star-studded cast here for you today. I'm going to call them a cast um, because we're excited to have them. They represent the state of Georgia, and they're two different departments, and we're going to be talking about what's coming up on November the 4th, which is Ask a Conservator Day. Now, you may be thinking, what in the world is a conservator? Why in the world are we talking about this? We're gonna get through all of it. But one of, one of the things that I wanna get across is this Ask a Conservator Day is an opportunity for con conservation and preservation professionals to demonstrate the incredible ways that they can preserve what's going on in our community, to talk about the history, to make sure that people understand how they can keep what's precious to them and make sure that it's accessible for generations to come. So we'll get into all of these details, but let me stop talking for just a second and introduce the people that I have in this virtual room with me. I'm going to start with my co-host today, Vanessa Sims, who is the Director of Emergency Management at the Georgia Department of Agriculture. Vanessa, would you like to say a few words and introduce yourself? Yes, I'm so excited to be here with you all today and um, to be with you at SEMA and Sigourney at the Georgia Archives and one of the state's emergency support function 11 coordinators. So we're excited to learn about conservators. Yes, and thank you for saying emergency support function and not just assuming that people will understand what ESF is. Um, we deal with that all the time on our podcast. So look, we have an expert in the room already. I love it. All right, and she has alluded to our subject matter expert. That is Sigourney Smuts. I never asked how to pronounce your last name, but I'm assuming that's right. I'm, I think you'll tell us. And she is a conservator with the Georgia Archives. Sigourney, can you just give us a brief background of who you are and what in the world do you do? Thank you very much for having me. Uh, yes. And I'd also like to thank you for shedding some light on this Ask a, Ask a Conservator Day. Uh, it's not a very well-known profession in the general world, so it's nice to just get a little bit more knowledge about what we do and why we do it. Um, so as you said, I'm a conservator and I am specifically a book, paper and photo conservator. So just like most other professions, you have specialisms and that's my specialism. Please don't bring you, me your paintings. I don't know what to do with paintings. Um, so what we do at the Georgia Archives is we collect and preserve the state's history. So we get all the, the documents related to state agencies. And then you as a citizen of Georgia can come and use our facility to do research. And that can include genealogical research. We have maps, we have documents, we have surveys, we have, we have the original charter for the, uh, the state of Georgia. So we've got a lot of very important history related to our state. And it is my pleasure to be one of the team that looks after this and make sure that it's not going to be damaged in the future. Wow. I'm just thinking as just a history nerd myself, like how incredibly awesome that is, but what an important role to have. I mean, to be able to explain to our children's children, you know, what, what it was like to live in Georgia, you know, 200, 300, 400 years ago. That's insane. I love that. I love that. Very cool. It's well, pretty fun <laughs> yeah well thank you for doing what you do and let's let's you mentioned it just a little bit but let's start with 
your job title. What is a conservator and and what do you what is your primary mission and goal? A conservator is a specific type of uh, preservation professional. And our job is we work specifically on the items. So you have uh, different branches within preservation. Uh, one of the branches could be someone like a curator, or you can have people who work on preventive conservation. And that's the, the factor of the conservation umbrella where you look after the environment. So is your building weather tight? Uh, is your temperature and humidity controlled? So it's not gonna cause any damage. Are you preventing pests coming in? So that's all preventive. You want to make sure that things don't get damaged, but sometimes things do get damaged. And that's when you'd call in a conservator and their role is to fix the actual item. So if it's torn, if it's water damaged, if it's stained, that's when we come and actually repair that damage. That said, part of my role as the conservator for the Georgia Archives is looking after the environment and working with our facilities team, working with our archivists and just making sure that we have good policies and procedures in place to prevent damage. Wow, so cool. That's pretty it's amazing. A lot of fun. We get to actually touch the stuff. What a privilege. So you, you've shared a lot. Can you tell us a little bit about what's the difference between being um, a conservator, doing conservation, and restoration? This can be a very tricky term because a lot of lay people think of us as restorers. And they will, if they need anything done, they've got a damaged family item, whether it's a painting, photograph, book, whatever, they don't know who to go to to take it to be repaired. And they think of the term restorer. And they are half right. That used to be our title, so to speak. And then around the 1970s, 60s and 70s, there was a shift in the profession away from restoration and towards conservation. And the idea behind that was that restoration is to improve the aesthetic appearance of something and to try to turn the clock back. You want to undo what was done and to make it look new and perfect or as perfect as you can. Uh, what we do as conservators is we have a slightly different ethical focus where we aim to conserve and preserve as much of the original item as possible. So we are trying to acknowledge the history that this item has gone through. That can include damage. So if you were to think about um, just a old document or something. If it was bright white and very colorful, it would look odd. You'd want it to kind of look that it's 200 years old. So we try to take some of that into account. That said, we do sometimes use restoration techniques to make something look more aesthetically pleasing, but uh, that is, it's limited in when you do that and what instances. So if you were to put something on display in a gallery or museum, you may want to make it look pretty because it has an aesthetic function. Us here at the archives, the function of these items is to preserve the history. So we're more focused on stabilizing it than making it pretty. Oh, that's a great answer. So 
As, as a follow-up to that, I would think that um, so people may be more familiar with historical societies and, and, and people like that. So I guess it may be that you work in a partnership as well with some of those other organizations doing your um, conservation work. We do. Uh, it's one of the nice functions that we have as the state archive is that we are a resource for the state. It's not just our job to preserve the records in our building. It's to help other institutions look after their own collections. So we are a service that you can phone up and say, hey, I have this problem. Can you give me advice? Can you send me some resources? And we can do that. And we do sometimes work with county archives, historical societies, um, in some instances, as a conservator, I can directly assist them uh, if it fits in with certain mandates that they are a state institution or have some, uh, some affiliation to the University System of Georgia, which we're affiliated to. So we are a resource. Um, one of the best ways to really describe what the state archives is, is if you think about the public library system, it is a resource for the public. We are the same thing. While we house the collection, we are also an advice institution. I, I just, for those just listening and not watching us on Facebook, I just have this giant grin on my face. Like this is the coolest thing that I honestly did not know existed until recently. So, so awesome. Thank you so much for providing some of this context. It's huge to understand the difference between conservation and restoration, if there's a document or anything that survived Hurricane Katrina or survived like, you know, working through the Underground Railroad, like you'd want it to look like it survived those time frames. You wouldn't want it to be bright white and, and be exactly what it was. It needs to show how it's kind of lived through the test of time. That's absolutely fascinating to me. It's, wow. I, I love the ethics of conservation and why we conserve what we conserve and to what extent. And it can be muddy, as any ethical discussion can be, but it's that's what makes it fascinating. That's so cool, man. I, I love my job. Okay. All right. So um, some of the things that we might hear are um, whether a conservator can... Um, appraise or authenticate art, say you've got something that's been in your family for a couple of generations, can they come to you all to find more information or is that not exactly how it works? That is not my area. It is something people think we should know about because we are uh, topic specific experts, but my expertise is in the materiality of the item and not its uh, how would I say, like not its content. So I'm interested in what type of paper is it? What's the damage? What kind of adhesives may have been used? What's the media that's on it? So is it printed? Is it somebody wrote in a ballpoint pen or one of those old pens? So it's the, the materials that make up the item is what I focus on and what my expertise is. When you get into authentication, did Joe Smith write this. It's got his signature, but I don't know if that's Joe Smith who actually put the signature down. I don't know what Joe Smith's signature should look like. I don't know the history of Joe Smith, so you'd be better off going to 
at a professional appraiser or to an auction house who specializes in that specific person or material type. This is kind of like taking me back to watching, I think it was Pawn Stars, like with my parents, and they would bring in these like experts that were like, I can't say for certain that this was George Washington's signature. That's not you. That's not what you guys do. That's not your expertise. I love it. Uh, this is like a whole new different skill set that Pawn Stars probably needs to like get into, like honestly. One thing I will add a bit of, because I've seen it on various, some of these reality shows you're talking about, like Porn Stars, or this, that's the only one I'm thinking of right now, because you just, <laughs> but they will sometimes bring in a conservator if they have questions about the materials themselves. So we have analytical techniques we can use to say that this is this type of adhesive, and that is um, either consistent or inconsistent with what it should be. So we can give more information to the experts, but again, I don't know if Joe Smith actually put pen to paper. Fair enough. So we're excited to learn more about what conservators do. Sigourney, tell us what a day in the life of Sigourney the conservator. That is a tricky question because it fluctuates wildly depending on what's going on. So a lot of the time we work, like I said, with our facility staff to make sure that the environment is stable. We have these little data loggers up all over the building so we can check the temperature and humidity. So if we see something's a little funky, we'll contact them and be, hey, the humidity is spiking, what's going on? And sometimes it's as simple as it's raining outside. So more water in the air. Um, so we, we will work with things if there's any particular issues going on. And we did have some issues over summer where the humidity was a little harder to control. So we had to be more on that. Um, so that is a factor. I'll get contacted by the archivists if they have any questions. They may have a new uh, collection coming into the building and they just want some second opinion. If we have any new staff uh, who are starting like we did recently at the beginning of this month, this previous month, can't believe it's November already. Uh, so then we do all the staff training on care and handling. How do you, how do you hold a piece of paper? I know it sounds silly, but how do you safely handle the documents? How do you safely handle books? How do you use these that you're not going to break the spine? How do you turn over a really big map? It sounds silly, but it's important that again, it's a preventive side of things. So do the staff training. I'm also responsible for all our emergency planning and preparedness. So that's something I have in common with Vanessa, where if, if there were to be a disaster, what, we do, what would we do? So we need to make sure that our staff is well versed on that and I have to update all those documents. So that's a lot of kind of the, the admin stuff I take care of. And then I get to do the fun stuff such as actually work on the things. Uh, we recently finished a very large map. It took forever because it was varnished, which is a horrible thing to do to a poor map. So we had to take off the varnish with little swabs, kind of little, little by little, oh. so a lot of fun. And it was in pieces. And the assistant conservator here absolutely loves that because she's a jigsaw, jigsaw puzzle fanatic. So she's just trying to fit all the pieces back together. So that's, that's where it's a lot of fun. And then another thing we do, which I'm currently in the process of, is we teach workshops to the public. So weekend we're having our last workshop for this year and we're teaching the public on how to 
do um, archival mounting for flat paper items and photos. So just getting all the materials together for that workshop so that we can have a lot of fun and play oh. with it. <laughs> that is lovely how you're helping the public. Wow. I need to, I need to find a new word. Like I can't just constantly say, wow, but that's so, so just unique. Like every day seems like it's a different adventure where you get to go gallivant through history and, and kind of relive these, these moments. Like that's, that's a really awesome job, a really cool profession that I didn't even realize existed. It's so, what I've always loved about conservation and what drew me to it is that Conservation sits at the nice little center of history, just regular people history, like world history, local history, art itself, like craft work, working with your hands, um, art creation, and then science. It's very science heavy, chemistry and physics. So a lot of engineering, we create custom enclosures for damaged items. So we make boxes that are archival and so it's a lot of everything and you get to do a lot of everything. It's never boring. Wow. Wow. That's really cool. All right. Well, so this is an emergency management podcast, so I have to get into it just briefly. Um, and you've got the director of emergency management in SEMA. So I mean, it's par for the course. Um, you mentioned part of your role is to protect the Georgia archives if there is an emergency situation. I mean, there are so many so many things that can happen in the state of Georgia that people don't think of. Um, wh what does that plan look like? I mean, how do you prepare to protect the Georgia archives from all of this natural and man-made disasters? Well, it's one thing that I, I, I do teach. So uh, every year we do May Day training with all our staff so that they, whether they've done it a hundred times or once or never before, we make sure that everyone is well-versed in what they need to do. Um, and that obviously includes basic things like fire drills, tornado drills, that, et cetera. Um, but a disaster is not just hurricane comes through. Like that's, that's the worst end of the scale. But a disaster for us is a, something as simple as somebody spills a cup of coffee onto something valuable. So we want to make sure that we take steps to avoid things like that. Uh, so we have food and beverage policies to prevent that sort of thing. And then we'll scale that all the way up in terms of if a pipe bursts, what do we do? Does the staff know where our disaster supplies are? Do they know how to safely remove something? Do they know who to call? Because sometimes uh, responding to, to a disaster is as simple as knowing who the appropriate people are to deal with it and to know their own limitations. So we have our own in-house disaster team and they know what they should do, and we can do some basic training on fire salvage, water salvage, uh, those sorts of things. Just simple as understanding how the building works. How does a fire extinguisher actually work? How do fire sprinklers work? A lot of people think that it's that movie thing of you light the, the lighter close and suddenly the entire building is That's not how it works. That would be a terrible idea. So it's making sure that everyone knows how these things function so that they have an understanding of what to do. You are 100% preaching to the choir. I know, Vanessa, you're probably <laughs> confident a bit to, to talk about that. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, 
me personally, like one time I rolled up at home and the garage came up and then this flood of water came out, you know, of the garage. And of course I had old family photos and just awards and all of those different things. But I remember calling the plumber, I didn't know who to call, but I called the plumber and just having them talk through with me. How do I shut off the water on the water heater? But knowing even in your home, how you shut off water and multiple points. And so you really did bring up a lot of um, amazing tips, proactive, preventative tips to share with people. Um, can you share some more uh, ideas or recommendations on how people can care for their own items? Yeah. Well, one of the first things to do, which I mentioned briefly earlier, is you want to control the temperature and humidity as much as you can. It's Georgia. That's only going to get you so far. Summer's hot and humid. Winter's cold and dry. There's only so much you can work with. But by and large, you want to make sure that you're not going to have any very valuable things or things that are precious to you stored in basements or attics. They're less controlled. They tend to be more exposed to whatever's happening outside. There's also the problem of out of sight, out of mind. So you do want to be mindful that if there's that leak in your basement and you only discover it three days later because you haven't been down there, that could be a problem. <laughs> and related to that, something as simple as don't put stuff on the floor. So if you have a box of family photos, don't just put it on the floor, put it on a table or even have a couple of bricks that you put it on because if there's a flood, it's then off the floor. It's not going to get wet. So that's something very simple. So we have that rule here at the archives, nothing on the floor. Um, other things you can do is you want to avoid direct sunlight on anything that's organic based. So that could be a painting, it could be a photograph, just even your, your certificate or award that you got for graduation. If the direct sun is shining on that, it's going to damage it over time. Uh, the paper will darken, any colors can be bleached out. So if you've ever seen an old newspaper that was left outside and it kind of goes that gross brown color and becomes very brittle, that is essentially what happened. So you do want to be careful of where you hang uh, pictures or things like that, that they're not going to get blasted with the sun. Um, so those are very simple things. Pest management. Unfortunately, organic materials are food. So if you have cockroach infestation, you have mice coming in, Anything like that that's not pleasant, they will eat your stuff, unfortunately. So just basic pest management. Don't have old food lying out forever. Take your trash out regularly. Just basic sweeping up of debris so that there's nothing that they can use to create nests or anything like that. And just general tidying gives you an idea of what's happening in your home so that you can spot if something's starting to go wrong. Uh, and then the last one, which is a big one, is mold. Mold is horrible. It's number one, a health hazard to us. Uh, spores can cause allergy re uh, reactions. It can cause respiratory problems. Um, so that can be a physical health hazard for us, but then it can also grow on your organic materials. And how mold works is that it puts, it's like a tree and it puts roots down into whatever the substrate is, whether it's your papers, um, books, photos, um, if anything organic it can grow on. And then it releases enzymes into that to digest it. So then it can soak up those enzymes, uh, that nutrient into itself. 
And where those enzymes release, it starts weakening the paper or item. And unfortunately, once something has been infected with mold, that, that's it. It's put those roots down. You can't take the roots back out. So you want to avoid mold in the first place. So again, that's really the temperature and humidity. You don't want the temperature to really stay up too high for too long. And you definitely don't want the humidity to be too high as well. That is the best description of mold I think I've ever heard. You know, we deal <laughs> yeah. with it a lot in emergency management realm, but, but you made mold sound so beautiful, <laughs> but the importance of how you, you know, you attack it and you prevent it in the first place. So thank you for sharing that. Sigourney. Yeah, it is a paper conservator's worst night. <laughs> well, it really did. I was like, wait, are we still talking about mold? Like, wait a second. <laughs> like what? Um, so there were some things I, I saw Vanessa's face and I was thinking to myself, like, oh, when I get home tonight, like, I, know. I have to fix some stuff. Um, I know other people listening may be in the same boat. How does the public get advice on, you know, caring for their items or obtain, you know, some, some treatment that you guys might be able to provide? How does that relationship work? Well, as I said, at the Georgia Archives, we are a resource that people can contact us and it's georgiaarchives.org if they want to find us there and then there's resources they can use there as well as getting in touch with us. Otherwise, if you're looking for conservators specifically, the American Institute for Conservation, AIC, their website is culturalheritage.org and on their website, they have a find a conservator tool so you can just type in your location and what general speciality you're looking for, such as objects, textiles, paper, photo, whatever it may be. And that will give you a list of conservators within your region. And all the people on that list have been vetted by the AIC so that you know they are professional conservators. Because unfortunately, it's not like going to a plumber where you need accreditation to be a practicing plumber. So you really want to make sure that you're getting somebody who is a proper conservator and not somebody who's done a few courses and now is just going ahead with that. Uh, to, for most people to be professional conservators, you have to have a master's degree in conservation. So it's a fairly high level training. So that's one resource. Another resource for the Southeast specifically is CIRCA, which is the Southeast Regional Conservation Association. And they are a conservation group just for the Southeast. And they've also got a list of local conservators and resources. Oh, and uh, AIC's website has some really great resources. So it's got fact guides and things like that where you can do your own research and it's a good place to start. Thank you for sharing all those tips. I mean, you brought up some really valuable points. How you can serve wood is different than how you can serve paper and metals and textiles. So thank you for um, sharing that, Sigourney. You know, I have a daughter who's an artist, but you shared a lot of information with us today, just as general, um, the general public on how we can all um, take steps and, and be involved in conservation. Um, can you tell us a little bit more if someone, after they've uh, heard this amazing podcast, if they're wanting to uh, get involved in conservation, do you have any tips on that as well? If you're interested in conservation, regardless of where you are, I would first recommend 
reaching out to your local conservation groups, such as CERCA. Most areas of the U.S. have a regional conservation group, and that can be a great place just to network. Conservators, by and large, are a very friendly bunch, and we love talking about what we do. So it's another thing in my day-to-day life I deal with. It's just people reaching out saying, hey, I'm interested in this. Can I talk to you? Can I come have a tour of the archives and speak to you in person? or have an email or phone discussion, or even just Zoom like this. So reach out to your regional groups or find local conservators who can give you some good pointers. Because also, as I said, we have different specialities. And if you're interested in metals, I'm not the best person to speak to you about that. I can point you in some directions in general, but you would be better speaking to somebody who can give you pointers about what it is you're interested in and to see if that's something you want to pursue. As I said, it's a master's program in the US um, and overseas. So it is something that if you want to do, it can be quite a long journey. You have to have an undergraduate degree first, and then you have to uh, fulfill certain course programs just to be eligible, such as chemistry components, art history. So talking to a local conservator can really give you advice on how you can proceed and put you in touch with appropriate people. Well, you kind of shared uh, bits and pieces of it, but can you talk us through a little bit about your journey and how you got to be where you are? Sure. I'm a bit of an unusual case. I discovered conservation when I was a teenager, and most people only really discover this as a profession later on, because as we're discussing now, it's not very well known. I was very fortunate that I discovered it, and I was like, I want to do that. That, that, That's it. I've life decision made. So I could gear all my education towards getting into conservation. So I'm originally from Cape Town, South Africa, hence the accent you're hearing. And I did my undergraduate in fine art in Cape Town at the University of Cape Town, because I knew that this was the direction I wanted to go. And I wanted to have that art background and also just experience working with my hands. It's a very tactile profession. Um, So I did that as my undergrad, and then I did my master's degree in conservation at the University of Northumbria in the UK. Um, Coming from South Africa and us being a colony, it was an easier transition based on our education systems. After I completed my master's degree, I returned to South Africa and I worked for the University of Cape Town Special Collections Library for two years. So I was their conservator covering everything that's how I ended up branching out into other things such as books and photos because they're like we've got this can you do something yes I will (laughs) figure this out (laughs) and I had a lot of great mentors along the way Um, through connections at the library I ended up working in New Jersey for a photo conservator for a little bit so I expanded on my photo skills there returned to South Africa and I worked in private practice uh, as a freelance conservator for various institutions, including the National Gallery, uh, uh, a lot of auction houses and art uh, galleries, things like that, private clients. Um, And then I uh, was very fortunate to be awarded uh, the NEA, the National Endowment of the Arts Fellowship to work at the Conservation Center for Art and Historic Artifacts in Philadelphia. And after that, I got this job here at the Georgia Archives. 
And I'm very excited to be in the Southeast because I did not like the snow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that is incredible. I mean, to think of it at a, as a teenager that you knew exactly what you wanted to do. When I was a teenager, I was going to be a cardiologist and that did not work out well for me. So I think it's incredible that you've been able to set yourself up for success and from such a young age. That's I was very fortunate that my, my family, my, my grandmother was an artist. So I always had art around and I was very into art as a, uh, as a kid. But then my dad is a doctor and my mom's a scientist. So I also had that side. So it was a very natural fit for me to go into conservation, which is just happy marriage of both. What a beautiful journey. I can just imagine all the amazing collections that you touched on, just hearing your story. That is so beautiful. So wanted to hear a little bit more for those who may not know, if you can share with us, uh, again, where the Georgia Archives is located. And also, I know it's a beautiful facility. If you haven't been, I'll just give a plug. You should really go and get a chance. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> I also know they're co-located with the Federal Archives. So can you first start off and tell us where you are and a little bit more about the Georgia Archives and then tell us um, about any partnerships you may have with the Federal Archives. Sure. So the Georgia Archives is uh, located in Morrow and we're about 30 minutes south of Atlanta proper. Uh, and we're kind of just directly east of the airport. So just outside of the perimeter. So it's a fairly easy area to get to. Um, and as you said, we're right next to uh, NARA, the National Archives. Um, and they have regional archives throughout, this, uh, throughout the US. So they have their main one in DC, but then they also need to uh, collect the federal records. So one of the things to remember if you're wanting to look up anything is we at the Georgia Archives only collect items and collections related to the state of Georgia. The National Archives only collects items related to the federal government. So they will collect things related to NASA, uh, FBI, CIA, whatever uh, countrywide federal institutions exist. Meanwhile, we get GEMA, GBI, mean the G meaning Georgia, obviously. Um, so we're right next door and that was actually planned so that people have an easier go of being able to do any research they may want to do. We don't have a lot of professional interaction with them, I should say, because we collect very different materials. Mm -hmm. We know them, they know us, and sometimes we'll send people to each other saying, what you're really looking for is federal or what you're looking for is state. Um, and sometimes just people wanting to donate their own personal collections, we point them in a better direction, either to NARA next door, or maybe even to a local a historical society that we know that fits their mission statement better than what we do. So we need to be mindful that we're not aiming to collect everything possible. That's impossible. So we want to make sure that things go to the best home for them. That was a great explanation and thank you. I, I'm still just at a loss for words. This was just so eye-opening for me. I'm so excited. Um, listeners, 
yeah, listeners, the reason that we ended up having this conversation today is from a guest that we had a couple of weeks ago, Glenda Anderson, um, who spoke about Savannah Heritage Emergency Response and how you can, you know, make sure that you're preserving your things on a, on a local level and your personal level. Uh, she made this introduction. I'm so glad that she did because this has been just absolutely incredible. So thank you guys so much for being here today. Thank you for sharing your profession that you were clearly meant to do. Sigourney, I, I, it, it's been just absolutely eye-opening and awe-inspiring. Is there anything else that you, you want to touch on? No, I'm, I'm just so glad that I get this chance to really talk about something I'm very passionate about. And the more people that are aware of conservation and preservation in general, the better. There are such wonderful resources out there and there's so much people can do to look after their own things. And I just, I'm passionate about conservation. I'm passionate about our heritage and anything we can all do collectively to look after it. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. Vanessa, anything else for the, for the good of the, the virtual room here? Well, I just wanted to thank you, Chelsea, um, allowing me to co-host with you today. And Sigourney, we're just so lucky to have you um, here in the state all you do and the other natural, cultural, historic um, members. So just thank you for sharing your knowledge and expertise. Thank you both. I've enjoyed awesome. having this conversation. Yes, absolutely. All right, listeners, you know the drill. Um, next week, we are going to be back and we are going to be talking about social vulnerability and disasters. So we're going to completely shift gears, which I'm known for doing. You guys have been around long enough now to know, I mean, we are 40 some episodes in. Um, so keep in mind, we are always, yes, ma'am. Yeah, Vanessa's giving me some thumbs up. Um, we are gonna be back. We're gonna be talking about some other ways that you can be prepared and be more aware of emergencies that happen right here in Chatham County. Until then, bye guys.